Well, it uh, really is a great privilege to be here with you this morning and uh, to be able to come and uh, bring God's Word and to begin exploring where, where the Lord is, is leading us. It really is an exciting uh, time, uh, although a little bit daunting as well, but uh, it really is our privilege and joy to be here uh, with you today. And we really look forward to getting to know uh, many of you a little bit more over lunch this afternoon. Uh, but if you've got your Bible with you, uh, do keep it open at Matthew 13. It's a, a very short passage, just a, a couple of verses uh, that we're going to unpack together this morning. Uh, now, I remember as a child being on holiday with some uh, family friends, uh, and one day we children were playing, uh, as children do, we were playing kings and queens or knights and princesses, whatever it was. Uh, but my friend and I, well, we were, we were firmly in charge. We, we were the eldest, uh, so of course we were, we were in charge. Uh, and on the beach, we found some lovely shimmering uh, blue and, and green stones, uh, the reality was, of course, that they were simply pieces of broken glass that had been weathered by the sea over time. But nevertheless, we decided they, they're our crown jewels. Uh, and, of course, we took them back secretly to the campsite with us. Uh, and in our infinite wisdom as eight- or nine-year-olds, uh, we buried them uh, under, under some leaves beneath a tree. Uh, uh, what else would you do? I mean, I, I think our, our reasoning probably was that if we took them back to our tents, our mothers would just turf them out with the rubbish because they'd know exactly what they were. Uh, but I'm sure you can guess what happened. When we returned the following day and hunted under the tree for them, well, our treasure was gone. Somebody had pinched them. Uh, and, and, of course, we were, we were devastated. Our, our crown jewels that had seemed so valuable to us, well, they were gone. Uh, we, were, we were gutted. It's funny the things you remember from childhood, isn't it? Uh, but I always remember that moment when I read these two little parables in Matthew 13 as we see these two men discovering uh, treasure. What is it that Jesus is describing here? Well, these, these two little parables are part of a larger collection of parables about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus is declaring that he is ushering in God's eternal kingdom. He's declaring he is God's promised, chosen king. He's declaring that the kingdom of God is, is not going to be found in some heavyweight political or military ruler, but the kingdom of God is supremely found in himself. And so he's describing what the kingdom of God is like. In verse 31, we, we didn't read it, but if you look back to verse 31, he, he describes the kingdom of God as a mustard seed. Uh, so something absolutely tiny, but of course, which grows into something much bigger. And, and yet now he's describing the kingdom not as something tiny and seemingly insignificant, but as something spectacular. Treasure. Precious jewels. Uh, so what is Jesus saying? Well, there's, there's two things that Jesus wants people to understand about the kingdom of God. First of all, he wants us to understand the value of the kingdom. Uh, and hopefully the slides should click on. I didn't ask if there was a clicker, actually. But uh, he wants us to understand the value of the kingdom. Imagine the scene that is described in verse 44. A poor man going about his daily work, probably working for the farmer, the landowner. And he, he, he's plowing the field. He's, he's bored. Uh, it, it's pretty monotonous work, and he, he's probably paid very little. Uh, and then, quite by accident, his plough hits a box. 
So he digs it up. And he opens it. And what does he find inside? Well, to his surprise, it's full of precious treasure. And of course, perhaps we find that a little bit strange. Why on earth would treasure be hidden in a field? You, you see sometimes, don't you, people uh, out on the beach, well, not near here, obviously, but you see people out on the beach uh, or in the countryside with, with metal detectors. Uh, the reality is, of course, they, they rarely find anything of any real value. People don't tend to bury treasure in fields, and, and yet in first century Palestine, it wasn't exactly uncommon. Much of the land there, at some point or other in its history, uh, had been a battleground. Uh, and if enemies were invading, well, what did you do? You, you, you wanted to hide your valuables in the hope that one day, after the fighting was over, you could go and dig them up again. But this treasure had been left there, unclaimed, uh, hidden, uh, until this man, quite by chance, discovers it. So, so what does he do? Well, he hides it again, probably rather better than my friend and I hid our treasure on that campsite, but he hides it again, and in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field in order that he might own the treasure that he's discovered. Uh, and instinctively, our modern minds, well, at least mine does, I don't know about yours, but our, our minds begin to wonder, don't they? Is this, is this a bit dubious? Is this ethical? Is Jesus advocating, advocating a bit of a dodgy business practice here? Well, we need not worry. In Jewish law, uh, it was uh, stated that if a man finds scattered money or treasure, it belongs to the finder. So he's quite within his rights to buy the field and become the legal owner of the treasure. But the point of what Jesus is saying is not the ethics of the deal. The point of what he's saying is the little word, joy. This man discovers treasure, and in his joy, he sells everything and buys the field. Think for a moment about selling everything you've got. Uh, I'm guessing the prospect doesn't exactly fill you with joy. But that's what the man does. Jesus, remember, is talking about the kingdom of God and its value. The kingdom of God is like a box of treasure. And those who find it are overjoyed because of what they've discovered. They're overjoyed at the supreme value of the kingdom of God. Above anything this world can offer us. He repeats the point in this second little parable. This time it's not a poor man working in a field, but a merchant he would have been much richer, probably a pearl dealer. Uh, and in the ancient world, a fine pearl is just about as good as you could possibly get. A couple of years ago, we were on holiday in the Isle of Wight. Uh, and there's a famous pearl shop uh, in the Isle of Wight. Uh, and you can actually pay to pick an oyster uh, and open it and discover the pearl inside. And the pearl is yours. There's a flat price for the oyster. The pearl inside is yours. They'll measure it. Uh, they'll value it, and you might be fortunate enough to have picked a really big pearl, or even a double pearl. But then, of course, they will offer to set your pearl in a ring or a necklace, and you quickly realize that's how they make the money. But there's something about pearls. They're beautiful and, and immensely popular still uh, today, aren't they? 
Uh, and so it was in the ancient world. A fine pearl was just about as good, uh, just about as valuable a jewel as you could get. And so this merchant, it, well, he'd have been undertaking a long and patient search, probably in the marketplace. He knew what he was looking for. He'd seen other pearls, of course, many times over the years. But this time, well, it's something special, incomparable. And he does the same as the first man. He sells everything he's got in order to buy it. And it's interesting, isn't it? As we look at these two men that Jesus describes, that we realize that people discover the kingdom of God in different ways. Some do it quite by accident, and others discover the kingdom of God as the result of a long and diligent search. Don't know about you here, but uh, that's certainly been our experience at, at, at our current church, if I think about those who have become Christians over the last few years. We've had several who have, uh, in one way or another, begun to be interested in the Christian faith. Uh, Some, it's been as a Christian friend, has begun to talk to them about the Lord Jesus. Uh, Others, it's because they've, they've heard Bible stories at the baby and toddler group. Or maybe as their children have come to events and groups at the church. They've got interested in the Christian faith, and, and so they've begun to explore a bit further. Uh, Very often that's taken the form of they begin to come to church on a Sunday. Uh, And then maybe we'll do the Christianity Explored course with them. But something's already begun in their hearts. For some it's been a, a sense of emptiness, that they know there must be more to life. For others, it's they've begun to remember some of the things of God they learned as a child, and now they're beginning to wonder whether there's any truth in it. And so they, a bit like the pearl merchant, well, they begin a deliberate search. But then on the other hand, there are those who seem to just stumble across the kingdom of God quite by accident. We've got a lovely lady in our church who was a bit like that, like the man who discovered the treasure in the field when he wasn't really looking for it. This lady comes from a really tough, dark background. She was an alcoholic. She spent some time in prison years ago. And a few years back, not long after she'd moved to the area, she, was, uh, she went out one evening to buy a newspaper from the corner shop just up the road from the church. Uh, and somehow she found herself carrying on walking down the road. And to this day, she's got no idea how or why she ended up standing outside the church looking at the notice board. And she saw there were lights on. And she had loads of massive hang-ups about God. Quite frankly, she didn't like the idea of God very much at all. But for no explicable reason whatsoever, she walked in. She's been coming ever since. And I had the joy of opening up the gospel to her and shortly afterwards baptizing her. She discovered the absolute joy of God's kingdom The joy of following Jesus, entirely by accident, other than, as she testifies, God was at work in her, even though she had no idea of it. You see, people discover the kingdom of God in different ways, and yet the result is the same. Whether people discovered Jesus by accident or by a careful search, in him they discover the loveliest thing in all the world. And to be welcomed into the kingdom of God, 
is of such infinite value that it causes us overflowing joy. Doesn't it? The kingdom of God is like treasure. It is supremely valuable. And I wonder, can I ask the question, is the kingdom of God treasure to us? The reality is, of course, that this world is full of things that are enjoyable, uh, things that have varying degrees of value for us, and, and yet we also know that the Bible calls us to treasure our Lord Jesus above them all. How greatly we need to learn Paul's lesson from Philippians 3 that Matt read to us earlier on. All those things that he says he could place his confidence in, being a a true Jew, being educated, zealous for the glory of God, and yet what does he say? It'll come up on the screen. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, Paul learned to consider the things that this world offers him as garbage, rubbish, compared to the all-surpassing treasure of knowing Jesus. We sometimes sing a song, don't we? Knowing you, Jesus... There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're, my, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Now, they're tremendously easy words to sing. But are they easy words to mean, I wonder? All around us are people who treasure all kinds of things. All around us are people who treasure money and all the things that money can buy. And how easy it is for us Christians to fall into the same trap. Do those things become our greatest treasure? Or maybe we treasure our leisure time, or our reputation, or our job status. Do those things become more valuable to us than our Lord Jesus? I often say, actually, that one of the greatest uh, treasures, one of the greatest idols, if you like, of our modern culture is actually family. It might surprise you. Well, family's a good thing, surely, we say. They're the gift from God. Uh, Of course, that's right. I'm hugely grateful to God for a loving wife and for three wonderful children. They're gifts from God's gracious hand, and, and yet they must not be, cannot be, my greatest treasure. I confess that some, somewhere I have to check myself on a regular basis. But, but how often I see people on social media, they, well, they put a picture of their children and they put the caption, my world. For many people, that's true. But we need to be careful that we get things in the right order. We're to treasure our children. We're to enjoy the good things that God gives us in this world. But as wonderful as they are, they're not the supreme treasure we have, are they? Do we treasure our Lord Jesus above anything this world can offer us? Do we treasure Jesus? What value do we place on knowing him as our saviour and as our friend? Have we discovered, like these two men in these parables, have we discovered the infinite value of living in the kingdom of God? Do we grasp the fact that to be welcomed into that kingdom, 
to live under the perfect kingship of our Lord Jesus, do we grasp the fact that that is absolute treasure? The kingdom of God is like treasure. And when we discover it, aren't we filled with immeasurable joy like these two men here? So what a tragedy it is then when people look on and they see Christians living for the treasures of this world just like everybody else. Or perhaps even more tragic when people look on and see Christians living as though life in the kingdom of God is dull and dreary. The kingdom of God is like treasure. It's like a fine pearl. To belong to the kingdom of God is to have received something so valuable that brings supreme joy. The value of the kingdom of God. Secondly, Jesus wants us to understand the cost of the kingdom. Back to the text with me for a moment. These two men discover their treasure in different ways. One by accident, one through carefully looking for it, and yet they both do the same thing. They both sell everything they have in order to get it. What they've discovered is of such infinite value that it's worth everything they've got. And Jesus' message is so clear, isn't it? Being in his kingdom is of such great value that it is worth everything. Entering his kingdom is is truly a delight, but it demands our total response. Now, Jesus is not saying that we can buy our way into his kingdom. Parables, Parables don't work like that. He's not saying we have to do something to earn our way in or buy our way in. There have been plenty through history who have told people that. Uh, There are sadly people today who lead people to believe that kind of thing, essentially that you can buy your way into God's kingdom. Uh, I love reading church history, uh, and in particular about the Reformation. Uh, And one of my favorite stories from that that period of time is about a guy called Johann Tetzel. Uh, Now, now Tetzel was a guy who really got Martin Luther's goat. Uh, Okay, Tetzel was a monk who used to travel around Germany on behalf of the Roman Catholic Church selling indulgences. Now, indulgences were were essentially forgiveness for for a particular sin you've committed. One of his specialities, though, were were selling indulgences on behalf of the Pope that would speed up the progress of your dead loved ones through purgatory. And Tetzel was well known for coming up with advertising jingles. My personal favorite was this one. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Utterly grotesque. What he was saying is, give, a, give, give us money and your dead loved one will get into heaven quicker. It's easy to see why that enraged someone like Martin Luther, isn't it? But, you know, that kind of teaching has never entirely gone away. We're only too aware, aren't we, of, of what we call prosperity preachers even today, who lead people to believe that if they part with their money, they can expect some promised blessing from God. But God doesn't work like that. He never has and he never will. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Throughout his life and his ministry, Jesus was abundantly clear, wasn't he? The way into the kingdom of God is along the road of repentance and faith. And it leads us to Jesus. Trusting in him, the one who died for us. For the forgiveness of our sin. That's the, way, that's the only way we can enter the kingdom of God. We receive it as a gift of grace. Something we could never earn. Something we do not deserve. Uh, it's entirely free to us. Because Jesus paid the price in full. 
We receive it freely, and yet Jesus does say it comes with a cost. I came across this wonderful quote recently by Tim Chester. He said this, Jesus asks everything of us, but he asks nothing of us that he himself has not first endured for us. These parables teach us the fact that to be a follower of Jesus, to be in God's kingdom, well, it means we have to be willing to lose everything. Whether we're rich or poor, well, it doesn't actually matter. We must be willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. Contrast these two men in these parables with uh, the man that Matthew tells us about in chapter 19, a rich young ruler. Uh, And on that occasion, it's not a parable. It's a real man. A real man who's rich and who asks Jesus the question, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He's convinced it's something he can do, something he can achieve himself. And the upshot is, Jesus says, go away, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. But the rich young man went away sad because he had great wealth. And again, Jesus wasn't saying that he could buy his way into the kingdom. He was describing what kingdom life looks like, a willingness to give up everything to follow King Jesus. And perhaps we think of our brothers and sisters in many countries of the world where following Jesus means running the risk of arrest, imprisonment, or worse. We think of those converts from Islam, for whom following Jesus will often cost them their families because they're disowned. Or we think closer to home, and we're reminded of people like the Christian magistrate who was removed from his role because of his views on the family. Or the Christian doctor who was sacked because he wouldn't refer to a man as she. And we begin to wonder whether the cost of following Jesus might mean we can't do those kind of roles in the future. And I wonder what might be the cost to us. Our children bullied at school because they won't celebrate Halloween and they tell their friends that Christmas is all about Jesus. Or the businessman working in London who gave up his job because they were asking him to join in unethical business practices. Both of those, by the way, are real-life examples. And we realize that following Jesus, living as citizens of the kingdom of God, there is always a cost. And the question is, are we willing to lose everything? To sacrifice maybe our reputation, even our financial security, everything, if Jesus asks us to. Jesus demands our total response. He calls for a willingness to give up everything to follow him. But if he really is such a valuable treasure, then he's absolutely worth it. Whatever he calls us to sacrifice, the cost is not too high. The kingdom of God is immensely valuable, and it is worth the cost. And so really the point of these parables is for us to search our own hearts and and consider whether we value God's kingdom like a box of treasure. Does Jesus really have such great value to us? Do we treasure him above anything this world offers us? 
And are we therefore willing to give everything to follow him? To follow him, come what may. You, you see, if we don't treasure Jesus, we won't give him everything. But as we search our hearts, we need to remember that the strength to do it doesn't come from within ourselves. I've just said if we don't treasure Jesus, we won't give him everything. And so it's very easy to think, well then, uh, I need to make sure I treasure Jesus more this week. And it's quite easy for pastors, for preachers, to, to sort of bang people over the head with the Bible and make them feel very guilty that they don't treasure Jesus very much. Uh, forgive me if that's the impression I've given, uh, and forgive me even more if I give the impression that I've got it all sorted, because believe me, I haven't. But the way that we treasure Jesus more is not writing ourselves the old school report, we must do better this week. The way we treasure Jesus more is by looking to him and gazing afresh on the beauty of who he is and what he's done. You see, we can flip these parables on their heads. And instead of a man searching in a field or at the market, we imagine God as the one looking. He's not digging in a field, but he does look down at the earth. And as he looks down at earth and he sees people like us, awesome to contemplate, isn't it? The God of all creation is mindful of human beings. But as he looked down in, at this world and, and, and as he saw people like you and me, what did he see? Well, not a sparkling box of treasure and fine pearls, but rather dirty and sinful hearts. And yet as he sees people like us, he sees people who have value in his sight. Uh, and for reasons beyond our understanding, as, as he, the holy God of heaven, looks down on sinful, fallen people like us, he loves us. Uh, and as the man in the field wanted the treasure, and as the man at the market wanted the pearl, so God wants us. If you're a Christian here this morning... It is because God looked down into the grubby field of this world and said, I want you. Not because you were a gleaming box of treasure. You weren't. I'm not. He said it in spite of our dirtiness. And so what did he do? Well, like these two men in these parables, he gave everything he had. He gave the greatest, most valuable treasure he had his own son in order to buy us. And as Jesus hung on Calvary's cross, there we see the highest price of all being paid. As all of our sin was heaped upon him. As he faced God's righteous anger against our sin. Jesus bore the cost and he paid it all. And we who were held captive by sin, well, the price has been paid to set us free. Because God gave everything he had to buy us back. And there we see how greatly he loves us. How deeply God loves his people, that he came and found us, that he, he gave everything in order to buy us. That we might be his joy and treasure for all eternity. Do you, do you realize that? That if you're a Christian... You are God's treasure. Isn't that a staggering thing to contemplate? That you are God's treasure, God's joy and God's delight. 
And I think that's when we begin to treasure him more. We don't look within ourselves, but we look to him. Several times this year, Beth and I have been reminded of God's beautiful words through the prophet Zephaniah. They'll come up on the screen. Zephaniah says to the people of God, He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's astonishing, isn't it, to realize that God is more ready to delight in us than we are to delight in him. God is more ready to treasure us than we are to treasure him. And when we consider that, that is what causes us to begin to treasure him more. Shall we pray before we sing? Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for a love that is vast beyond all measure, that you would give your only son to make a wretch your treasure. We bow before you and we say, Lord, forgive us for the times when we love other things more than you. Help us to treasure Jesus as much as he treasures us. Amen. We sing.